Well, I hope that you will find the uh, sermon outline in your worship bulletin this morning helpful. You'll notice that the sermon title uh, is Genesis, an introduction. This is just an introductory sermon to our, our new five-year study in the book of Genesis. <laughs> I think I'm kidding. I think I'm kidding. Our new study in the book of Genesis. You notice the new banners, the new front on the bulletins, and the, the, the actual sermon title is Genesis, an introduction, and some preliminary matters. But it wouldn't all fit on there. Isn't that nice? Doesn't that just warm your heart? Preliminary matters. It sounds like this is going to be really inspiring uh, to hear some introduction and preliminary matters. But I want to begin this morning and begin this series and this sermon by reading uh, about the first seven days. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 3. So let me go ahead and read those for us this morning. This is the Word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which there's seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. 
And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give life to these words in our hearts and in our minds. We ask that you would be pleased by your spirit to teach us these words. That we might see God in these words that we might know Christ in these words, that we might be your faithful people because of the work of your Spirit and the Word. It's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. So the book of Genesis lays out the very foundation of the world. And today, that foundation is crumbling. The book of Genesis tells us who God is and his relationship with humanity and what it means for us to be human. God not only created the world and everything in it, he gave order to humanity to bless his creation and to cause humanity to flourish. But today, humanity rejects God's creation ordinances and undermines the foundation of what it actually means to be 
human. Our generation rejects what it means to be created in the image of God. And in abandoning God's creation ordinances, we have abandoned what it means to truly be human. Pursuing every random thought as reality, acting on every fleshly desire, worshiping self, does not make us more human. It makes us less human. So what are the righteous to do when the very foundation is crumbling? We're to go back to the beginning. We're to go back to the beginning to seek out those true foundations so that we would know them and be confident in them. Some of us are old enough to have experienced a society that valued and promoted God's basic ordinances for human flourishing. But the youngest generations grew up in a society that did not value them. And children today, even in school, are being taught to reject them as evil and oppressive. God's gift of marriage has been abandoned. The statistics prove it. The sanctity of human life has been abandoned, and the number of abortions prove it. What it means to be made male and female has been abandoned, and the twisting and contorting of our language to accommodate that proves it. The foundation of what it means to be made in the image of God has been lost. And what's left is insanity. The failure to see what is real. Leaving people, even some Christian people, confused as to to what they're to do and what they're to say, if anything, in public. And so it's time for the people of God to go to the source and remind ourselves of God's foundations. Why? For the sake of the gospel. Not just so we can win the current culture war. Not just so we can have more potent tweets and posts. Not just so we can claim the current high ground. But so that we would know the gospel and tell others how they can know God and live as those created in his image and flourish in this life and the next. So my my sermon title really ought to be, Why Study Genesis? Why study Genesis? Why should we study the book of Genesis is really what I want to talk about this morning. And the first and most obvious reason is because All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the people of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Genesis is the Spirit-inspired Word of God that is living and active, and so we should expect it to do something in us. 
We're not supposed to read Genesis and say, oh, isn't that interesting? I've learned some new facts. Although that may happen. We should expect Genesis to train us in what is right and good and true about God and about us. We should expect to be corrected and reproved by Genesis when we've gotten something wrong or just missed it. And we should expect to grow in righteousness as the Old Testament book of Genesis trains us in the very righteousness of God that we have in Jesus Christ. And why do we want our souls to be profited in these ways? Because I want you to be complete. And you want me to be complete. And I want you to be equipped for every good work that God has created you for. And you want me to be complete for every good work that God has created me for. In John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus prays asking his Father to do something for his disciples. He says to the Father, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Genesis contains the truth about God and the truth about man and the truth about how man ought to live in order to flourish and the truth about sin and the truth about death and the truth about a savior and the truth about redemption and the truth that God's restored creation and his kingdom forever, which is coming. All of that's in Genesis? Yes, all of that is in Genesis. The foundational truths of God are found in Genesis. And Jesus prayed that God the Father would sanctify us in the truth of Genesis. Now, having prayed that, do you think the Lord might answer Jesus' prayer for us to be sanctified in the truth of Genesis? We need him to. So we should study Genesis to profit our souls. And we should study Genesis because we want to know God and we want to worship him rightly. I, uh, a couple weeks ago, I had texted one of the elders at uh, Christ Proclamation Church down in Connecticut. Uh, I wanted to ask him a question. And uh, I, 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 I have known this man for, for many years, and he's known me for many years, but I've never had his phone number, so I got that from Pastor Steve. And I texted him, uh, you know, hey, Christoph, how you doing? I wanted to ask you a couple questions about this. Do you have some time to talk later today? And I got this really short text back, and it said, hello, dot, 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 who is this? Because I, I didn't introduce myself. I just started texting. I just started talking. I don't know if you've noticed this before, but in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The whole Bible begins with God not introducing himself. He just starts talking. He just starts talking about things he's done. The whole of Scripture, beginning with the beginning, assumes the pre-existence of God because God is. We need to study Genesis to learn more about God. More than that, we want to know God. And in knowing God, who created the heavens and the earth, we have to respond to him rightly in glorifying him as God who created the heavens and the earth. God who created everything is grand and majestic 
and worthy of receiving all glory forever and ever. That's the understanding of God that the Apostle Paul expresses in Romans chapter 1. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Let me read just a couple of verses beginning in verse 18. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Paul has a right doctrine of God and a right doctrine of creation. He knows what it means for us to be created in the image of God and how we know the truth because it's built into us, but we suppressed it and exchanged the sanctifying truth of our creator God for a lie, a foundationless lie, which is why it is so profoundly important for us to know God, to know who he is and what he does and what he says so that we can be in total awe of him. So that we would worship God. We've been made to reverence and fear him, to to delight and to joy in who he is. Stephen Tracy, a pastor here in Maine, pointed pointed me to this axiom, which, which he actually read in Calvin's Institutes. I was too lazy to go read him. I just used his work. Calvin would say that our knowledge of God and of ourselves is so connected that we cannot know one without the other. We cannot understand God if we do not know ourselves, but we will not know ourselves if we do not seek to understand God. So here we have creator and the created. Here we have our doctrine, our understanding of God, our theology, and we have our doctrine, our understanding of man. And if we remove theology from humanity, we are left with humanism. Humanism is our world's favorite religion. Self-worship. Instead of everything beginning and ending with God, everything begins and ends with me. We, draw, we stand back, we draw a circle around ourselves, and we say everything in this circle begins and ends with me, the individual autonomous human being. Welcome to my world. That's the nature of our world today. And the reason why we must listen to what God says about himself in order to rightly worship God and not worship ourselves. That's what has happened in our generation. Yes, every generation has loved itself and served itself, but we are watching our generation at every level and in every sphere profoundly undermine the foundations established by God for the worship of God in exchange for the worship of self. 
And every technological toy that we hold in our hands, every screen we look at, speeds us on our way. So we need to firmly establish God's foundations for living from the book of Genesis so that we will know God and glorify God in our worship of Him. And we need to study Genesis because we want to know what it means to be human and to flourish, to actually have a blessed life. When we look at our generation, it seems apparent that we've lost the ability to define what it means to be human. We're completely detached from what it means to be created in the image of God. Our best and brightest, most highly educated people can't define what it means to be male or female. Educators tell our children they can be either. The teachers among us. Doctors use drugs and scalpels to help boys become girls and girls become boys before they even become adults. Lawmakers coerce us to the insanity that gender is limitless and even fluid and that will be represented on your driver's license and your passport. I don't think this is an exaggeration. These things are. The highest courts in the land have undermined marriage with no-fault divorce and so-called same-sex marriage. And it's not stopping there as local municipalities pass legal ordinances for polyamorous relationships and the rights they have over children. We're lost. We don't even know what a living human being is anymore. Our generation is up in arms over the possibility that after 50 years of legal abortion, we might lose our legal freedom to kill babies in the womb. Heaven help us. We're lost. We're untethered from the world that God created. We're confused about how to live, how to flourish. And the world is certainly lost in terms of salvation. Because in each of these tragic instances, we've rejected God's creation ordinances found in Genesis. It's a rebellion against God's created order. In Genesis, we have a strong foundation. God, who created the heavens and the earth, and us, he tells his plans for human flourishing. Genesis tells us, who God is and who we are. God is the one who gives us marriage. The one flesh union of one man and one woman for life. God gives us the family with father and mother and parenting of children. And God tells us to work and be productive and rest. This is how life is meant to be. This is how life is meant to be. This is what it means to be human. In hopes of fulfilling their lusts for the good life, our generation has abandoned God's creation ordinances and as a result has become less human. It's less than human to abandon marriage, to abandon parenting, to abandon children's lives. It's less than human to abandon the gender binary of male and female created in the image of God. It's, 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 uh, it's less than human to abandon 
the desire and, and, and effort to work and wish to win the lottery instead. I know that God's creation ordinances, his good foundations for human flourishing, are not politically correct or socially correct in this world. But they are biblically correct. They are eternally correct. And they bring about true human flourishing. Just look at the younger generations who have grown up in this lost world. They don't know where to find meaning. They don't know what to think or what to do. They can't make sense out of their relationships. They don't have answers to questions like, what does it mean to be me? Or what am I supposed to do with my life? And they can't know these things because they do not have the true foundation established by their creator. The foundation for knowing who God is and who we are is found at the beginning in Genesis. We should study Genesis because we want to know and exalt Jesus Christ more fully. Our study of Genesis becomes the foundation of our study for all of the rest of Scripture. And not just Old Testament, but New Testament in the Gospels. Turn to John chapter 1. Look at John chapter 1. Beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In the beginning, when God created everything, He created nothing without Jesus, who is the Word. That seems an important thing to know. If God created the heavens and the earth and is worthy of praise, then knowing that the heavens and the earth were not created without Jesus gives us reason to exalt Jesus in creation as well. All of us would say that Jesus is worthy of exaltation for, for his work in our, in our recreation, our being born again, but there's an even earlier foundation for exalting Jesus. In the beginning... Not only was God the, the Father present in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and not only was the Holy Spirit present in Genesis 1, verse 2, hovering over the waters, but Jesus the Son was present in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Jesus is the Word of God that God spoke, and it was. And the first word that God spoke in Genesis was light. And John says in John 1 that Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness and is not overcome because Jesus is the light of life. See, the New Testament interprets and offers commentary on the Old Testament. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Let me read just two verses beginning in verse 15. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. He, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created 
in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. When we read Genesis chapter 1, we know that Jesus is already preeminent. That's what Paul's saying here in Colossians. Jesus is preeminent. All of creation is by Jesus. And all of creation is for Jesus. Believe it. This is not a random thought. This is foundational. All of creation is for Jesus. Do you understand that this is foundational? Everything, every person, every moment was made for Jesus. And this for Jesus aspect of creation is part of the overall majesty of the glory of God at work in the creation of the world by which God the Father exalts himself and so in creation Jesus the Son is also exalted. Before we ever get to Jesus' resurrection in John chapter 20 and before we ever get to Jesus' ascension in Acts chapter 1 and before we ever get to Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords in the new Jerusalem in Revelations chapters 20 and 21, Jesus is already worthy of exaltation and praise because of his act in creation. In Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis we know Jesus more fully than without Genesis. And we know why and how we are to worship him more fully. Because of his participation in creation. And all of this is gloriously Trinitarian, isn't it? It is gloriously Trinitarian. Now, if you only read Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and then you read Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. I don't think that you would look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and say, oh, look, the triune Godhead. But, having read Genesis chapter 1, and John chapter 1, and Colossians chapter 1, I think you must point to Genesis 1.26 and say, Oh, look, the triune Godhead. Isn't Scripture wonderful? Isn't the Word of God wonderful? The New Testament interprets and comments on Genesis. And Genesis lays the strong foundation to be understood. In Genesis, we know something about the majesty and the exaltation of Christ, that he's preeminent in the triune God's work of creation. And so we should study Genesis to profit our souls. We should study Genesis to know God and to worship him rightly. We should study Genesis to know ourselves and to flourish living under God's creation ordinances. We should study Genesis to know Jesus and to worship him more fully. And we should study Genesis because it is the foundation and beginning of God's great work of salvation. Just as Jesus is preeminent in creation, he is also preeminent in our recreation, that is our redemption, and has first place in his church. Because everything, 
everything from beginning and therefore all the way to the end is for him. And from the beginning, through the middle, and at the end of Scripture, we see God the Father and the Spirit and the Son working to bring about our salvation. One commentator points out these themes found in Genesis that we don't see again in Scripture until we get to the Gospels in the New Testament. The institution of marriage, the fall of man, the jealousy of Cain, the judgment of the flood, the imputed righteousness of the believer in Abraham, the rival sons of promise in the flesh, the profanity of Esau, the pilgrim status of God's people are all predominantly New Testament themes related to our salvation. Here we have them in Genesis. Genesis is closer to the New Testament than it is to all the rest of the Old Testament. Genesis tells us how sin entered the world. Genesis tells us why every single human being suffers from sin and its effects. But Genesis also tells us about God's grace. And we don't have to wait until we get to God's covenant with Abraham to see it. Don't we see God's grace in the way that he pursues Adam and Eve when they're hiding from God in the garden after they've sinned? Don't we? God sees us in our sin just as easily as he sees Adam and Eve trying to hide behind a tree. And he calls to us. Where are you? Why are you hiding? Isn't it grace that God did not abandon them as they had abandoned God? And even as God pronounces the curse upon Satan, that serpent of old, cursed are you above all, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life, and I shall put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Even then, at that very same time, God pronounces grace. But he, the seed of the woman, shall crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. On the cross, Jesus will crush the head of Satan, dealing him the mortal blow. Now Jesus will die on the cross. Satan will bruise his heel. But Jesus will rise again and never die. Genesis lays the foundation for our understanding of the gospel. That we've sinned against God, our creator, by becoming worshipers of ourselves. And that the punishment for making the world all about us instead of about him is permanent exile from a life that was created for Christ. But Christ himself will become the blood sacrifice for us to redeem us, to make us worshipers of God again, giving us meaning and purpose as we once again live for Christ. He who is preeminent in creation is also preeminent in recreation. This is what the Apostle Paul continues to say. It's what he has in mind in Colossians chapter 1. We pick up in verse 18. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In Genesis, we will find God's grace, the foundation of our salvation in Christ. It's the very gospel of Christ that we believe by faith and we're saved. That's why we should study the book of Genesis. I want to explore just two more, two more ways that our souls can profit from the study of Genesis. We can profit from the study of Genesis through the restoration of the foundation of God's majesty and in our awe. We should see him that way. The words of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 are absolutely astounding and profound. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Think about the profoundness of each of those three concepts. The beginning. Wrap your mind around there not being a beginning. The beginning. Think about the heavens and earth. It's, it's a way of saying everything. Every single thing. Things you don't even know or are aware of. Everything. And creation. Creation. God spoke, and it was. We don't know any other power like that, except what is ascribed to God in Scripture. These are staggering, foundational concepts that shape how we look at the entire world. So Genesis is about the beginning and the heavens and the earth and the creation, right? No. Genesis is primarily about God. Genesis is primarily about God. Genesis uses the works of God and the words of God to tell us who God is. Genesis will not answer all of the questions you're asking about the heavens and the earth and their beginning. But it will answer all of the questions you should be asking. Especially about who God is. And who you are in relation to God. We can only know God if he chooses to make himself known to us. And in Genesis, God reveals himself to us in ways we can understand. How can finite us, limited understanding us, understand or know a God unless he speaks human to us? He speaks in ways that we can understand. He communicates to us in ways that we can understand. By his works and by his words. We come to know God by his actions and we come to understand him by his words. Jesus does the same things in the gospel. He does something that amazes us and then he explains what he's done so that we would understand and come to know him. The New Testament works the same way. In the gospels, uh, we see Jesus by what he has said and what he has done and then in the letters... We receive layer upon layer of understanding of what Jesus has accomplished and what the Holy Spirit is applying to us all by the grace of God through the writers. And all of it for Christ and to the praise of God's glorious grace. I had to buy a new laptop a few weeks ago and every time I open the laptop, Microsoft displays a new nature picture 
on my screen. Have you been through this? You know, and, and I get to click. I like that one or that one's not my cup of tea. And I get, and I get new pictures. And I, and I really love the various landscapes and seascapes and the, the mountains and the oceans and the blue skies and the green forests and the bright sunshine every time I open my laptop. And all of us have had ample opportunity to be impressed by the beauty of the world that we live in. Genesis introduces us to the one who created it all. It's very different, isn't it? Not just the stuff, but the creator. You know, in college, I would drive home from work, or excuse me, I would drive home from college so that I could work on the weekends. I, I drove an old 1966 Ford Fairline, my favorite car ever. And, and about halfway between college and home was this big hill, and I would fly down this big hill because gravity is like free gas, right? And my old core would rattle and shake and gain speed heading down to the bottom of the hill, and just before the road flattened out, off to the right was a sign, a metal sign with painted words on it, nailed to an old farm fence post. And I read it every single time I flew down that hill. And it said, Prepare to meet thy God. courtesy of the Assemblies of God Church. You see, the words prepare to meet thy God are, are a bit threatening, aren't they? Meeting God's a threatening thing. I think it's one thing to enjoy the creation, but it's a threatening thing to meet the Creator. Because his eternal attributes are plain to us. Namely, his eternal power and his divine nature. Which we clearly perceived in the things that he had made. The world thinks that matter is what is eternal. The stuff was always somewhere, sometime. But the Bible says that it is God who is eternal. And then he made the stuff. This one Mistake alone is ruinous to people. In time, if time and matter are forever, and God is not, then all is random. And life is necessarily without purpose or meaning or glory. That is what it is to be without a true foundation. And that's why it's threatening to encounter God who created the heavens and the earth that you enjoy so much. But with God's creation ordinances firmly in place as your foundation, you have meaning and purpose and a share in the glory to come. Genesis will profit our souls by restoring the foundation of God's majesty and his glory and our rightful awe of him. And Genesis will grow our confidence in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I like, I like the words prophet, P-R-O-F-I-T, and confidence. I like the words profit and confidence, especially when used in this way. I want our souls to profit from God's word in Genesis, the truth that sanctifies. And I want our confidence 
in Christ's gospel to grow. It's another way of saying I want our faith in Christ to be strengthened. These things happen by faith. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, you're going, to have it, you're going to have it memorized very soon, if not already. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We are brought face to face with the Bible's first claim upon our faith. Genesis 1, verse 1. Do you believe in God? To believe in God is to believe that God created the heavens and the earth. To believe in God is to believe that God created the heavens and the earth by His Word and by His Spirit. The Word is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who redeems sinners by His sin-atoning death on the cross and His life-giving resurrection from the dead. And the Spirit is the Holy Spirit of God, who indwells believers and guides them to live in obedience to God's creation ordinances so that they would be blessed, so that they would be good. Our world is lost. It has abandoned its God-created foundations and people are floundering in utter meaninglessness without true hope, without eternal purpose. Genesis will profit our souls by restoring the foundation of Christ's gospel by which God is redeeming sinners and restoring his kingdom for the purposes of establishing his kingdom forever. And all who enter God's kingdom enter by faith in Jesus Christ. And by faith we flourish in this life by binding ourselves to God's creation ordinances and not letting go of them. And by faith we experience what it means to be created in the image of God. And that, in God's own words, is very good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for calling us here to worship you this morning. Thank you as you, we always thank you for your grace and salvation. And Father, thank you for leading us to the beginning the foundation. You are our God who created the heavens and the earth by the word and the spirit. And you move in our lives and in this church and in the world in the same way today by the word and by the spirit. And so Lord, we pray that you would make us sensitive to your word and obedient to your spirit so that we might be your good people no, not your perfect people, but your increasingly good people. People who have entered your kingdom and will be with you in your kingdom forever. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.